Good afternoon, welcome to the Finance Hour on Jair, whether you're listening live on the radio or indeed on our podcast. This is the show where we try and make sense of the world of personal finance and hopefully help you make better financial decisions. My name's Ruben Zella, financial planner and owner at Adapt Wealth Management, and I'm back after a short three-week break in Israel and Thailand, so for those of you that missed the show over the last few weeks, I was on holidays. But now I'm back, uh, ready to go. I'm in the studio myself today, but I've got a couple of fantastic guests. And what we're going to be talking about today is the property market. And I know that's something that is close to everyone's heart. Everyone thinks about it. It's in the news all the time. Uh, you could say that in Australia we have a love affair with property. I've had clients come and say to me that they love bricks and mortar. Never quite understood what that meant, how you could love bricks and mortar, but certainly for those people who have invested in property over the last uh, number of years, uh, it's been a real success story. And today we're going to talk about uh, different types of property. Uh, we'll talk about residential property, and we've got a uh, we've got a discussion with Joey Eckstein from uh, Wilson Agents on what's been happening in the residential property market, particularly in the Caulfield St Kilda area. And we've also got another interview with Mark Talbot from Fitzroy's, who works in the commercial and retail property leasing space. So we should get some good insights. But talking about property, well, we're hearing about the property price increases. It's out there all the time. Uh, For the last 12 months, there's been uh, apparently, if you believe the figures, an 11.5% increase in capital growth uh, for properties in Melbourne. Uh, that's on the back of similar figures for, for many years before that as well. So um, those, have, those people who have been lucky enough to hold you know, property, whether it's their home or investments, have done exceptionally well. And, and one thing that I want to talk about today is what's really driven the growth in, in property, uh, the growth in the, in the values. And we will get some insight from our interviewees. But on a broad level, I want to talk a little bit about what I think are the main factors um, that drive property market growth. And I suppose if we think about that, then we can maybe think about if these factors are going to persist in the future and if the future is going to be as bright as what it has been or if the returns are going to be as good as what they have been in the past. So I think one of the big drivers of property growth is interest rates. Um, and that really is for two reasons. Number one, a lot of property is uh, purchased using borrowed funds. Uh, so if you've got, if interest rates are particularly low and banks are happy to lend money out, uh, people can effectively borrow more. They can borrow more and make the same amount of loan repayments. Uh, and if people are borrowing more, um, that'll fuel property prices. It fuels demand. And often what happens when people buy residential property, or particularly if they're buying their own home, what they'll do is they'll go first to the bank and see how much they can borrow, and then they'll go and buy the property. So if they can borrow a lot, they'll often pay a lot, pay more than what they would otherwise, which I think is a pretty uh, roundabout, poor way of making decisions because really you should be deciding what you need for your lifestyle and what's going to work for you long term. But 
Uh, it seems to me that that here we often think about it the reverse. We think, what can we afford to borrow? And then we buy a property up until that level. That's certainly the case. So interest rates have been low and they've been dropping in general. So that has really meant that uh, that people are able to borrow more uh, and it's fueled demand and competition at auctions and it's pushed property prices up. Uh, the other aspect of that as well is is if instead of being a borrower, if you're an investor, so let's say you're you know, a retiree who's some of our listeners may well be, uh, and you've you've got low interest rates, so you put your money in the bank and you're only getting one half or two percent, uh, then property or other kind of growth assets, including shares, looks relatively speaking more attractive, particularly when you're getting that capital growth. So I think inter- low interest rates have been the driver of a big part of the driver of the property prices. Uh, the other thing is obviously the availability of credit. So that really means you know the banks. Um, attitude in terms of lending and generally speaking um, you know it's not that hard to get a loan here although the banks have restricted things uh, quite a lot particularly over the last few months Um, but if you've got a good income it's never difficult to get a loan Um, but certainly the banks are getting a little bit harder and that's because the regulators are saying to them listen we don't want you to increase um, your loan book so much uh, for investment loans. We're concerned about the property price uh, increases, and they've actually even put uh, APRA, which is the um, which is the organisation that supervises the banks, have actually put a ten percent per annum cap on the growth uh, of investment loans in banks. So that's a pretty amazing thing, and that has definitely made the availability of credit a bit tighter. And I think it's still going to get tighter. There's also been uh, even though the, the general reserve bank interest rates haven't increased, a lot of banks have increased their interest rates, particularly on investment loans. So I think that this is one thing that we're starting to see come into reverse. The, you know, the availability of credit was very, was very wide and it's actually constricting a bit now. So I think that that is going to have an impact. So we're not going to get that positive tailwind from high availability of credit. Uh, the other thing is is... is what should drive property prices uh, is people's rise in incomes. So if people's incomes are increasing, um, that means they can afford more, they can afford to borrow more, um, invest. Um, so really that should be a be a driver of property prices. It's interesting. I don't think that that particular factor has been such a, a big factor in the past while. So because incomes have not actually risen that much, uh, they've only risen by two to three percent a year, um, so people's income have, hasn't risen that much to enable them to buy property. Uh, but on the reverse side, interest rates have dropped, so they could borrow more money. So in the long term, there's generally quite a good correlation between people's rises in income and property prices. Um, but now, over the last number of years, you would have found that property prices would have outpaced. Um, rise in income by a huge amount. So that's that factor. There should be a, a correlation. There hasn't been so much lately. The question is, Is do property prices come back uh, or going forward, do the increases um, in property versus rises in income um, become closer together? And I venture to say that that certainly will happen over time. It's just a matter of when. Uh, the final one is speculation. So this is really people buying property, you know, 
um, expecting it to go up and flipping it in a short period of time. And I think that that definitely has been a factor in the market. Um, you see a lot of you know developers you know buying property, trying to flip it really quickly, um, and you know not really worrying about long-term fundamentals, but just trying to jump in and capture some of the growth that seems to be happening in in property. And once again, whether or not that continues is um, is to be seen. It's certainly not something that is going to persist long term. So there you have it. Those are the, the, the drivers of the property market growth that I see. Uh, interest rates being low, uh, availability of credit from the banks, um, people's income rising, um, which as I said has not happened that much, and speculation. So uh, with that in mind, um, as I said to you, there's significant uh, interest by governments and government organizations about property prices. And I think it's a little odd because I'm not sure that uh, these government organizations should be taking such a big role in trying to regulate the property market. I actually don't think they're going to be that effective. Uh, and if they are really effective, they may actually um, they may actually damage the situation. So as I said, APRA, which supervises the banks, have said to the banks, you can't increase your investment loan book by more than 10% a year. So they've effectively put a, a speed hump on it. Um, but Apart from that, they've also been talking about it a lot. And ASIC, which supervises companies, they've all been saying how there's a property price bubble and things have got to stop and slow down. Um, they all seem to be in a, having concerted effort to talk the property market down. So far, it hasn't been successful. Um, I think in an ideal world, they'd probably want the, the growth in prices to slow. Um, they think that that will help uh, affordability. Um, but they certainly don't want to see a crash. They don't want to see a big fall in property prices because that's going to have a massive, massive impact on the on the property market uh, and on the economy in general. So I think they're going to have to be very, very careful that they don't, um, you know, they don't push things too far the other way. Because as I said, people are very highly leveraged. A lot of our economy actually um, revolves around property. Um, you know, if you think about the retail or you think about people buying the building industry or people buying, you know, white goods or whatever it be for their, for their properties, um, there's a whole lot of industries that hang off it. So I think it's something that they're going to have to be exceptionally careful about. And if they get it wrong and they scare the market too much, uh, that you might find that the impact is going to be significant. So... I am interested in hearing your thoughts. Uh, feel free to SMS in on 04788-22258 where you think the property market is headed and, and let me know, um, does the recent property prices scare you off buying at the moment or does it even prompt you considering selling some property? Be interested to hear that and we will be talking to our experts very soon, straight after this song. Welcome back to the Finance Hour. I'm Ruben Zelwa, financial planner and owner at Adapt Wealth Management. Um, hope you're enjoying listening to this podcast uh, or perhaps listening uh, live on the JA radio station. Now, I now have on the line Joey Eckstein. Joey's an associate at Wilson Agents, and we're going to have a bit of a chat with Joey about the property market. Joey, are you there? Hi, Ruben. How are you today? Very good. Great to have you on, Joey. Thanks for having me. Thanks for taking the time. No problem. Jo Joey, you are an associate Wilson Agents, and your general work is obviously in the residential market. Which which areas do you work in? 
mainly focus on the uh, Bayside, Glenira and Port Phillip area. Okay. Um, been doing it for starting my 15th year now and pretty much the Caulfields and Kilderies, Elstonwick, Elwood, St Kilda, the Bagel Belt area. Uh, very good. Okay, so Joey, you know, the question that you must get asked all the time, I'm going to ask you, what's the state of the property market? What's been happening? Uh, the property market is booming. Um, shortage of stock out there, which is making prices continue to rise. And I think we're finding that um, land is the big winner out of all this. Yeah. Um, famous saying is they're not making any more of it and there's people that want it. And we're finding over the last couple of years that land has probably increased by, in some places, 30 to 40% from two years ago. Wow. So that's interesting. When you say there's a shortage, I mean, obviously, you know, everyone asks what's the property market doing, but I always think that, you know, there are different segments of the property market. You know, there's obviously, there's apartments, there's land, and, you know, in different suburbs are really different and different streets. But let's just talk on the... um on the division between apartments and, you know, and freestanding houses. Yep. Is, there, looks, is there a big divergence in how, you know, how those two are, are performing compared to each other? Certainly. I think you're finding around the St Kilda area, especially with the influx of apartments being built, that the apartment market probably hasn't crept up to the same degree as homes or townhouses. Yeah. Um, simply wherever you drive, you'll see another development going up three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine levels. And what's happening is that the, uh, there is a great supply of apartments, um, which has certainly pegged back the prices a little bit of them. They're still going up and there's still demand for them, but certainly not to the same degree as we're finding for new homes, land, townhouses or villa units. Yeah, so it really is the old adage of it's a land that that, that appreciates, as what you were saying before. That's that's the that's the main driver, isn't it, of the of the prices? It's the land rather than the building. Correct. The land component is what makes up you know um, a vast majority of the of the price, um, but also it's the improvements on the land. Yeah. Uh, the, the hottest thing going around at the moment is an older home on a nice allotment of land, mm. just because there aren't a lot of them around. And it's like gold. Yeah, and what are people generally doing with that? Are they, are they knocking down a building or are they renovating or...? Finding that there's a lot of new homes and also the, the latest craze has been um, luxury apartments, one on top of the other with a basement. Um, people want to get out of their four or five bedroom homes with a lot of maintenance and gardens and land but still want that luxury living. So we are finding, especially around that North Caulfield area, there's a lot of luxury apartments being built with a basement, um, with a big living area so you can still entertain the family um, and they are also in, in a demand. So is that is that like private individuals doing that or is that developers? Um... There's a bit of both. Um, a bit of both. You'll find sometimes a couple of people doing it together. Mm. You'll also find a lot of developers looking at that option simply because um, one on top of the other allows for larger living spaces with a less garden area and people don't want the maintenance. Yeah. So is that largely being driven by that sort of baby boomer retiree type market correct and also the downsizer yeah still want the living still want the ability to entertain but just don't want that maintenance mm. it's an interesting demographic that sort of baby boom because because a lot of them are sitting on you know significant you know assets uh and, and it's interesting i always i mean when i sit with clients sometimes they say oh yeah we're going to downsize we're going to move from the big home into a townhouse or whatever and i often find when it 
when it all gets said and done, by the time they've done the selling costs, buying costs, they often don't end up with a lot of equity out of it at all. A lot of people aren't actually looking for the equity out of it. Mm. I understand what you're saying, and it's 100% true because the luxury apartment is probably sometimes worth even more than the home that they're sitting on. Is that right? Lifestyle change. It's simply lifestyle. Yeah. And I've also seen a bit around these dual occupancy as well. Is that getting more common? People just sort of splitting a property into two, uh, maybe a family, and then then one of them doing, um, you know, splitting the cost. Because the land is so dear these days, um, by the time you buy the land and if you were to build a single home, it does does get out of people's reach. So what they're doing is teaming up with someone else, still want that land component, still want to be in a good area, still happy to have a home that they build themselves, but just sharing it with someone else. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's just talk a little bit more about... um about buying property, yep. um, what sort of due diligence do you suggest that, that people do before they, they take the plunge? Um, especially with older homes, I'd be advising people to get building inspections done. Yeah. Um, you know, most agents don't encourage that because the builders are out there to tell you that there's always things wrong with the property. Yeah. But in essence, you know, you're buying the biggest asset to spend four or $500 getting an investigation done on it um, is probably worthwhile because you never know what's behind the bricks and mortar. And we agents don't know either. We're not builders. Mm. So, you know, if people want to be careful and do their due diligence, certainly suggest getting some building inspections done. Um, getting the contract checked out by lawyers just to make sure there's nothing untoward in the contract, which you may not be um, see. And also, obviously, discussing with uh, your financial advisor what your affordability is. Yeah. Joe, one of the things um, that I you know, sort of use as a mantra and important in my business is telling clients not to buy overpriced assets. Don't pay too much. There's lots of um, you know, examples in history where, where people have paid huge amounts, whether it's you know, when the share market was in a bubble or property market or, or other markets. The, um, you, know, you might think of the tech wreck. Um, people overpaying substantially uh, for assets. And generally speaking, if they've overpaid enormously, you know, at some point it's going to hurt them. So how can people, you know, you've talked about the due diligence from a, a practical perspective, but how can they know whether they're significantly overpaying for a property? I think real estate, especially in our area, is a little bit different. Um, I've got to disagree slightly with you. They say, you know, they're saying what's expensive today is cheap tomorrow. Mm. I mean, over the course of my 15 years, no one's bought a property and sold it a few years later and had a loss. However, that you know, anything's possible mm. in the future. But I think, in, in, especially in our area, because there is such a great demand, um, you may be buying something which you might think is a little bit more expensive. If you're going to hold it long enough, I'm sure it will catch up and you will appreciate. Mm. However, in the outer suburbs, that certainly is the case. I know I've found a lot of people that I've dealt with over time that have bought off the plan in not necessarily the area that we're situated in, but yeah. the outer suburbs, and they are losing a lot of money. Mm. Um, so you've just got to be careful. Yeah. Yeah, and I think often the risk is highest with those new sort of apartments off the plan because you don't really have a test of what the market value is, at least when you've got an auction or, um, you know, it's pretty clear what the market value is at the end, isn't it? But when you're just buying off the plan, you know, the developer's putting a price on it. Well, you know, if you're tough, maybe you negotiate a little bit, but do you really know what the market value is? 
It's hard to establish. I mean, unless there's a lot of comparables out there, it is hard to establish. But the other thing with off the plan is um, there there used to be some really good stamp duty savings. I believe that is changing to a degree. Um, And it's hard to visualise what you're actually going to get. But there's been plenty of people that have bought off the plan and done really well out of it. It's it's certainly the development that you're buying into, Mm. um, the location that it's in, because location is as they say, the most important thing when buying real estate um, and the return it's going to get for you. Yeah. Okay, we are speaking to Joey Eckstein, Associate at Wilson Agents. Uh, Joey, I wanted to um, have a chat with you about the auction or the private sale, um, different ways of buying property. Uh, is there one that's sort of more preferable for buyers, do you think, to be, to be looking well, at? Well, for buyers, you know, in today's day and market, I think that if they can find something which is a private sale, they at least know what they're going to be paying, Mm -hmm. um, unless you're competing with someone else. Obviously, with an auction, there might be multiple bidders out there, and you may have a limit of X, and it might just go well above your limit, and you want the place, you're going to increase Mm -hmm. what your limit was. With a private sale, um, it's a set price, so you know what you're paying going into it, unless there is competition, which does occur sometimes. But generally, again, around our areas, most vendors do decide to sell by auction because hopefully the heat of the auction will create competition and get them a price which is certainly more than they expected and that has been happening over the course of the last few years so if you buy by a private sale obviously you you know from the buyer's perspective you're not caught up in the whole heat of the auction and you won't be like you know you may not pay as much is that what you're saying and it's also not the uh, uh, emotional side you know which is getting carried away yeah the, the reason we we love the auction so much is because people's emotions take over mm. um and they don't you know they get caught up in the in the moment and certainly that might um you know culminate in them paying more than they expected to with a private sale you know what it is you know how much the owners want here's an offer yeah take it or not you see the only thing that i've always thought of um an issue with private sale or even when things get passed in is that yeah, I look at the, the poor buyer, right, and they've been bidding for property, it gets passed in, and then they go in and have to negotiate with an agent who has probably done another 10 properties that day, probably done negotiated hundreds or thousands over their career, and here's this poor old, you know, um, mum and dad just negotiating their first property. And I look at it and I think, geez, it's not really a fair game, um, that negotiating process. Well, I, I mean, I would always advise people that are new to it to seek some advice. Um, mm. You know, agents are always there to help buyers um, if they ask. And I do that a lot. You know, we help people buy properties from other agents. Yeah. We do that negotiation because it also takes the emotion away from that buyer. Mm. We've got a figure in mind that we've been told by a, bu- by a buyer. We'll stick to that figure to the best of our ability. And if it does get passed in, well, we're not getting caught up in the agent play. We're there to work for the buyer. Mm. So that and does happen a lot, especially with people that are buying their first home. You do find quite quite frequently that they'll have someone there representing them or helping them out because it is a stressful process. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That sounds um, that sounds uh, like very very good advice. Get some advice. And um, in terms of the auction process, um, what sort of you know, does most of the work get done before the auction or or on the day as an agent in terms of what your role is? Oh, the auction's just the, the finishing part yep. of it. You know, the, the whole lead-up is 
you know, what, what makes the auction. Um, and that's the most important thing. You need an agent which is going to follow up the buyers, get the buyers there on the day, um, make, make the crowd accountable. Um, if you don't have the crowd, you don't have the auction, you don't have the auction, you don't have the sale. So it's really important that the four weeks prior you work your buyers. And as us agents, that is really the, the most important you know, um, thing which we can do for our clients is to work the buyers. Yeah. Because you've got one chance at it. The owners are spending a lot of money on marketing to get as many buyers to the door, and you just need to work those buyers and get them there. Yeah. All right, Joey, thanks a lot. We're starting to run out of time, but I'm no just going to leave you with one last question. Sure. Where to from here with the property market? I, I don't think it's going to change. I think it's going to keep on increasing. I don't think it's going to have the amount that it increased last year. I think last year was uh, an exception. We found that prices probably went up, in some cases, 20% within a 12-month period. I think it will increase, but not as uh, the same sharp degree as we had last year. There you go. And if anyone needs any help with buying or selling, give us a call and we'll look after all the listeners of JA. Thanks very much, Joey. And there, no you know there are thousands of them out there. So, I, heard, uh, I heard. So you better um, you know, tell your PA to get ready for the phone ringing off the hook. No problem. Joey, thanks a lot for joining thanks us. For having me. And uh, we will catch up with you again soon. Thanks a lot. Okay. Welcome back to the Finance Hour on JAIR. Whether you are listening live on the airways or indeed on our podcast, we now have another guest on the line, which I'm looking forward to, Mark Talbot, uh, who's the Division Director of Agency at Fitzroy's, who deals with leasing in the commercial and retail property sector. Mark, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ruben. How are you? Very good. You're a little bit quiet there. Oh, can you hear me now? Uh, yes. Yep, just make sure you're talking Very good. right into the phone. Still a little on the quiet side. Yeah, that's a bit better. Okay, cool. Mark, thanks for um, thanks for joining us today. We've just had a chat with uh, Joey Eckstein from Wilson Agents about the residential property market, but you deal uh, in the commercial and retail space. So, can you talk to us about the kind of properties then that that you work with? Yeah, sure. Um, look, uh, I uh, I'm a, a as you said a division director of uh, Fitzroy's, um, so we primarily deal with um, retail, commercial and industrial. Yeah. Um, and um, uh, I suppose for your viewers, certainly along Glen Huntley Road, Alstonwick, um, pockets of Caulfield South and Caulfield North, we're certainly involved with, with sales and leasing of, of all those you know, the strip location properties. Yeah. Uh, that involves you know, obviously leasing them from the bare bones if they're, if they're particularly vacant or um, you know, selling those properties once um, they're fully leased and the owner makes the, the, the commercial decision to, um, to move them on. So it's a really a very broad range of property types, is it? So anything from, from offices to, to retail? Um... Yeah, look, it is a broad range. Um, obviously, in the immediate area, uh, retail would probably be the most uh, um, evident. Um, but you obviously go to outskirts, of, uh, go to Moorabbin, there's, there's warehouse space, uh, office space, um, Fitzroy Street, St Kilda, uh, St Kilda Road. Um, so our, our firm is pretty diverse. Yeah. Um, you know, Metropolitan Melbourne, I suppose, is our bigger picture. Um, and that also can sometimes include some country areas as well. Yeah, so, you know, we talked about residential property. And it's obviously residential property has been an easy one for the mum and dad 
investor to get into. It's generally fairly easy to lend against, they understand it, uh, and they've got like a range of sort of entry prices, you know, from an apartment for a few hundred thousand to a, a freestanding um, for your one and a half million dollars plus. When we're talking about commercial, you know, properties, what's the sort of entry price range that people should be looking at before they even consider uh, a commercial or retail property? level at this point given given the market and where it sits now um, you're probably looking probably something at least 1.2 million yeah um, so it, it will be up there potentially competing with the residential sector and um, depending on the quality of that property and if it's uh, say a freehold property or freehold title uh, you know, you could be edging closer to the to the 1.5 million. So, what would you get for that? For the well, let's call it 1.5. What kind of property would you get as an example? Uh, look, you would get a, a um, uh, you get a property along uh, Glen Huntley Road, Alstonwick, um, probably on the on the fringe of the street. Yeah. Um, you might get a, a property in say Hampton Street, Hampton. Uh, it'll be a, a shop downstairs, with, uh, with, uh, which would have been a, a dwelling above as well. So it would be a two-storey freehold. There'll be some land at the back. Um, for that sort of entry-level investment, it'll be uh, probably the B-grade strips to, to a degree. Yeah. All locations, so Hampton Street, Martin Street. Um, and you know, the rental that you would get from that investment um, you know, could be around the, the, the 45 50000 Sorry, forty-five to fifty thousand dollar mark. Okay, so you're talking about a, a yield, what of about three percent or so? Yeah, look, probably the going yield um, at the moment probably probably around the three and a half percent. Yeah. Um, we've had a number of auctions recently where um, uh, three and a half percent has been has been the reflected yield on the on the sale price. So it may even get close to three, depending on the, yep. on the caliber of tenant. Is that is that low by historical standards? Uh, it, it is. So uh, our market is basically driven by um, uh, the deposit rate to a degree. I suppose. Well, I suppose one first of all the cost of money. So what yep. an investor can borrow at certainly is, is, is a driving factor. And we're in a, we're in, a, in an environment where the where rates are low. And I think from the buyer's point of view, if he's got $1.5 million in the bank, he probably doesn't want to leave it there because his interest that the banks are giving about 2%. Exactly. Exactly. So it's really, I was just talking about that at the start of the show, that yeah, it's the interest rates both for borrowers, um, you know, and for people who are investing and looking for an income yield. But, you know, we've found in history over times, you know, those sort of really low interest rates can fuel asset price bubbles. Um, you know, maybe it's happened in the property market before. It's certainly happened in, in share market and other markets, not just in Australia but around the world, you know, where low low income yields and availability, certainly availability of credit. I mean, that's what we saw in the US pre-GFC. You know, it was low interest rates, but almost even more so was just, you know, the banks just throwing money at everyone that really fueled. You know, a property price bubble over there before the the GFC hit. I mean, are we any are we any risk of that occurring here? Look, I, I, I'm not convinced that there's going to be a bubble in either the residential sector or the or the commercial sector. Um, a lot of the people who I tend to sell to, um, they're they're very well geared. 
Um, so they wouldn't necessarily be going out and borrowing 95% yeah. uh, with a 5% equity amount. Um, they would be geared properly, and um, you know, I suppose the, you know, the second or third um, property that they're purchasing, um, they've structured themselves well that they they uh, can allow for any downturn in the market. Um, yeah. But look, you, you probably you got you can see the banks. Obviously, you may mentioned before that they're acting outside of the RBA at the moment, and um, there's a lot of press as to the banks uh, wanting to sort of dampen the residential market. Mm. But I'm not convinced that's sort of necessarily focused to the commercial market, and um, interest from buyers certainly is, is you know, continues to be very strong. Yeah, you see, I've, I was talking about at the beginning of the show. I've got some real, you know, reservations about you know government and government organisations trying to affect prices of of asset markets. I just think that they're getting into a dangerous game. Um, you know, they say they want to talk it down, but if they talk it down too much and it falls in a heap, you know it's going to take the whole economy with it. I just don't know that it's their role to be doing that, and I don't know... I think I feel like they're playing with fire. Um, yeah, now look, it's something, something we need to talk to our, um, our local member about. Yes. Well, the other thing is, is I guess, you know, talking about, um, you know, the two aspects of return, so you're talking about, well, well let's, let's stick on to the capital growth for a while. So this sort of property that you just explained to me there as an example, the 1.2 to 1.5 million shop with a dwelling on top, what kind of capital appreciation of properties like that seen over the last number of years? Well, I suppose capital appreciation for commercial, um, somewhat similar to residential. Yeah. Um, our main drivers, obviously, to our market, the commercial market, are obviously interest rates, um, and also the rent achieved from a property, obviously, also has a direct impact on um, on its on its capital value. Yeah. Um, at the moment, we're certainly seeing um, the interest rate, the the cost of finance um, being low, which is driving um, a solid market. And obviously, the alternative is to put it into the, the banking at two percent put it into potentially the share market, which is improving, but has shown some volatility over recent years. Um, but I suppose an example of something that has that I have witnessed go up in, in, in value, uh, I did sell the property, um, would have been last year, of a, of a shop near the Elstonwick station, and uh, that client there bought it um, for 650000 uh, and we sold it for 980000 and uh, obviously, you know, close to a 50% increase in capital value. Over uh, what time frame? Uh, look, he sold it a couple of years ago, so he would have bought that probably um, uh, probably close to 12 years ago. Yeah, so it was over like a seven-year period, is that yeah, right? Yeah, look, you, you, yeah. say seven to ten. Yeah. No, no less than seven, but certainly seven to ten. So um, he hasn't doubled, doubled his money, but um, you know, there's still a solid gain there. Absolutely, and, and I think one of the big differences is you know leases like sort of the, so that so the security of the leases in a residential property versus a commercial and retail property can you talk to us because you, you're involved in leasing as well if i understand correctly can you can you just explain a little bit about the um you know the characteristics of a typical i suppose commercial property lease and how that compares to residential yeah sure well the, the main distinction with residential and commercial is that with commercial or retail we have the ability to on charge the outgoings yeah. to, to the tenants. So um, rather than the landlord absorbing council rates, insurance, uh, water, 
uh, what a race they can be reimbursed and passed on to the tenant. Yep. Um, so that's obviously a, a significant difference between the two um, property types. Um, our leases in commercial are generally longer. Um, probably the going rate at the moment with the, the market would probably indicate initial terms of at least three years, and they can be extended out to, to five uh, years to a tenant. Uh, and in some blue chip strips um, uh, and, and locations, we're, we're seeing some tenants coming up to 10 years. So the, um, the commitment uh, of a tenant is certainly longer than in residential. Yeah, and often they've got options after that. Yeah, I do. Yes, so the, op- the optional is there, uh, can be negotiated to be included in the lease, but the option's there to, at, the, at the tenant's disposal. So if he wishes to exercise his option on the basis he hasn't breached his lease and he's been paying his rent, then um, he has the ability, if the option's there, to take it up and extend yep. the lease for further three or four or five years, depending on what the owners agreed to at the, at the, at the very start of the occupancy. Yeah, and I suppose also within those um, within the leases you have uh, you know agreed ratchet clauses in terms of how much the the rent increases each year. What are the sort of different you know type of ratchet clauses that there are? Well, rat- ratchet clauses is an interesting term. That that uh, a ratchet clause relates to if the rent can't go down. So oh, okay. So what we have in commercial is we have built-in increases every twelve months. Uh, and that can be CPI, it can be a fixed amount, um, and it can be either you know, to market negotiation. So uh, at the moment we're seeing a lot of leases being negotiated where they're probably around about 4% every year. So yep. the investor buys a property, he strikes a deal with the tenant at 100000 uh, for five years, he'll have annual increases of 4%, um, so he knows his constant, he knows his cash flows every year. And conversely, so does the tenant. He knows what he's going to be paying going forward. Um, and, and I suppose from an investor's point of view, he wants to see um, income growth and he wants to see capital growth. Yeah. Um, look, certainly the, the treatment of outgoings uh, is, is a win for commercial. And, and obviously the length of term of lease is, is also very very advantageous. Um, residential, you probably would get a one-year lease, maybe yeah. two years. Yeah, and then it often goes to month to month after that, doesn't it? Yeah. So the tenant yeah. can pick up and leave. And look, you don't have problems with pets as well. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a business that you're, you're in effect going in, into business with. You're the landlord. You, you're going into business with the tenant um, to a degree and you know, you're striking a rent that you want to see his business prosper. Yeah. Um, so he can pay the rent. Yeah. And probably sometimes, it, you know, I guess the um, tenants, when they're, when you're living in your in the home, yeah, you may be a little bit more particular than what a what a business may be. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so maybe actually dealing with the tenants can be more difficult, even in a residential investment. Yeah. Look, um, you're you're dealing with a different style of tenant. Mm. Um, uh, you, you know, tenant selection when it comes to a tenant, a commercial tenant, is, is, is obviously very important. Um, the rent needs to be set at a level at a level where he's going to make some money. And yeah. Um, susceptible to you know, business conditions, if it's a closing store or, or a food use, um, you know, a number of external factors can affect how he has the ability to pay his rent. Um, but uh, I suppose with a house or an apartment, you're slightly removed from that being a landlord because uh, you're not involved with them 
um, too much. And uh, as long as the rent's coming in, you don't want to hear about it. Yeah, that's right. So if you were to sort of give some advice to people who are considering getting into that market, um, can you tell me a little bit about the sort of due diligence that, that people should be doing before they, they leap out? See if it's actually a realistic rent or it's not overinflated. Yeah, yep. And look, you'd probably need to have an understanding from that um, by, by an estate agent who, who, who has completed leases in, in, a, in the street that you're looking to buy into. Because mm. I guess the risk, if it's a higher rent than it should be, then when the next, uh, you know, that tenant might go belly up and you may not be able to get another tenant Correct. at that sort of rate anymore. And that. And as you say, given that the um, yeah the capital value of the property is very much related to the rental yield, um, you can find you're not only taking a hit on the rent, but you're taking a big hit on the capital value of the property as well. Correct, correct. So really, really that rent, what's in the lease, what's written in the lease, obviously is very important. But that's got to be assessed to to a point where can that tenant sustain that rent? And now if he's not having the turnover uh, to or having the sales to make that turnover to pay the rent, pay the wages, pay for stock, electricity, outgoings, etc., then, um, yeah, he, he will, will, will really struggle uh, and it'll be very challenging. So, yeah, you're right, the, the rent is direct function of, of the capital value. Um, but look, certainly checking the rent as to how it lined up in the street uh, is, is important. And um, buying a tenant, um, so buying a, a property with a very quality blue chip tenant is obviously very important very important they yep. can be more costly than others um, um, but um, a, a lease to a Commonwealth Bank for example um, uh, could certainly have a bit more weight than maybe a, a private tenant um, or, uh, or a locally sort of operating tenant but you've got to look at each tenant um, look at the rent that's been paid and, and and uh, the, sort of the size of the land as well. Okay, we're talking to Mark Talbot, uh, Division Director uh, Agency at Fitzroy's. Mark, we're starting to run out of time, but just before we go, I'm going to put you on the spot and ask you what the outlook is for the property market going forward. Look, I think the market is, uh, the outlook positive. Um, I think as long as uh, um, people are buying within their means, um, and they're buying at the right rates, I think we should see some continual growth, um, both for uh, vendors and buyers. Excellent. All right, Mark, look, thanks very much for your time today. It was um, really good to give our listeners some insight into, I suppose, an area of the property market a lot of people wouldn't have had experience in, but you know, it certainly sounds like if you get it right, um, you know, it can be a really good part of your wealth creation strategy, owning commercial or retail property. Absolutely. Okay, thanks, Mark. Okay, now it's time for my propeller head of the week. So the propeller head of the week is talking about property, and I'm actually going to talk about holiday houses. Now, what people generally know is when they buy property, if they're into an investment property, they can claim a tax deduction each year, whether it be for interest or other costs, rates, uh, for example, and you need to obviously keep a record of all those. 
But what I think a lot of people don't realize is if you've got a holiday house, which is a property, not your family home, but something that you are... You know, have as a another property. You can't claim a tax deduction each year for the interest or the other costs, but what you can actually do is add them on to the cost base of your of your property, and then when you sell the property, you effectively get a, a lower capital gain for tax purposes. So that may be a bit confusing, but let me let me give you an example. Let's say you brought a holiday house for four hundred thousand um, dollars. Plus stamp duty, which makes it four twenty, uh, and you sell it five years later for five hundred twenty thousand. So you might think there that the capital gain is five hundred twenty less the four hundred plus the stamp duty. It's a hundred thousand dollars. But let's say you paid forty thousand dollars in interest over that period of time. Well, if that was the case, that would reduce your gain down to sixty thousand. And let's say you had another twenty thousand dollars of other costs over time. So that would actually reduce your capital gain for tax purposes down to $40,000. And then if you remember, the way capital gains tax works is that if you've held the asset for longer than a year, they halve it, uh, and then it's only taxed at your individual rate at the rate of $20,000. So it would, sorry, it would be 50% of 40, which is $20,000. So what that tells you is keep your records if you are buying a holiday house or a property that you are not renting out because you will find that even though you can't claim a tax deduction along the way, you may well find that you can lower your capital gains tax bill at the end of the day when you sell it. Of course, consult your accountant uh, to make sure that you get the right advice. All right, well, that's it for our show today. Thank you very much for listening in. Uh, I welcome you to listen to all our other podcasts online as well. I give thanks to Ariel Zelwa for editing this podcast and doing a fantastic job. And we look forward to seeing you again next week.